You are listening to the Bug Bucks Podcast, hosted by Solomon Earhart and Alan Draper, where they will discuss scaling and growing your pest control company with the goal of helping you become a bug money millionaire. I remember when we first started Proof Reboot and I was telling Alan about, hey, we're not going to work for a day. And he's like, "Uh uh-huh, (laughs) uh-huh, a whole day, huh? Not going to make any money. Like there's no production going to be made and, and it's not, I mean, but those are, that's my favorite time of the year. I know a lot of technicians look forward to it because it's, they're by themselves all day. Even if you have a weekly meeting, you don't really get to see everybody. Right. And so having that full day where you're playing some games, having some fun, taking care of your vehicles and and sharing some best practices, man, it, it goes a long way. Hey everyone. Welcome to the Bug Bucks podcast. I'm Alan Draper. I got my main man right here with me, Saul. What's up, Solomon? What's up, Alan? Summer's coming, man. It's 80 degrees yep. in Charlotte today. Termites are swarming. It's a, it's a good day. Dude, I love when termites are swarming. Dude, it's the best. It's like a holiday. <laughs> we should literally make it a national holiday. It's like, what What was that show, dude, where it's like winter is coming? Game of Thrones, right? Mm, I For didn't us, watch Game of in Thrones. In our industry, it's like summer is summer is coming, but it's it's good, when man. You start getting, when you start getting the swarming calls, you know you know it's all, it's all about to go down. Yeah, that's exciting, man. Well, I'm excited for our guest today. It's a guy I know pretty well. You know, I've worked, you know, alongside him for a few years now. I consider him one of my partners, actually, for a lot of reasons. But we have David Gilmer on the show today. He has over 18 years in the bug business. And along with that, just crazy knowledge and experience. So... Welcome to the show, David. Glad to have you, man. Hey, thanks for having having me. I didn't I didn't realize it was eighteen years until today, so now I'm I'm feeling kind of old. That's a it's Both a long fast, time, man. <laughs> that is a long time. Like, you know, that's I, I haven't done anything for eighteen years, so yeah, too scatterbrained. Mm-hmm. I'm not old. I'm not old enough to have done anything for eighteen years yet. Yeah, true. True. Yeah. Besides so be, be alive, you know, but yeah, but the, I mean, the industry's changed so much since you started, right? And I don't know if we can take a look at the industry on like kind of this really high level scale, like zoom out, like on this macro scale, right? I know recently there's been changes like the amount of money that's being invested in tech in pest control, right? Where where the industry's heading with tech, the amount of private equity and outside money that's being invested in pest control. I think those are two of the biggest things that are changing the industry right now. What are your thoughts? What what are some things that have changed, you know, large scale stuff since since you got started 18 years ago? I thought for sure by now we would have a lot more technology <laughs> like you know in our industry. The biggest change is really what we went from paper to to filling everything out on a tablet, right? Products haven't changed. B&Gs have been around for, what, 80 years or longer? I don't know how long they've been here. There hasn't been a ton of change mm. other than, you know, added, which is a little aggravating. Yeah. Interesting. I would imagine that products have... I would imagine that products had changed quite a bit, but I, I guess, you know, not much, but I'm thinking maybe back from like the days you know, where they would use like the DDT or, or, or that type of stuff. Right. You know, I know 
termite products, I think, have changed fairly decently, right? I feel like there's a little bit more technology in some of these products nowadays than there used to be. Yeah. I mean, last year alone at Pest World, we had, there was only one new formulation that was released, right? Like one new product. That's it. Nothing else. But nobody, nobody came out with anything new. And when you're somebody like me, I like the technology side. I like new products. You know, MGK's done a really good job with their with their new stuff. But other than other than that, I can't think of a ton of new products that have come out. Like Termidor has been around since uh, I started. Most of the ant bakes have been the same. Like nothing's really changed. They make it shinier. They kind of repackage it, but it's all the same formulation. David, what do you think about these like new smart home systems or like the uh, the rodent stations with like the electronic, you know, digital monitoring and, and things like that? Yeah. Do you think that as it progresses is going to really kind of change in, in the industry, especially more on maybe on a commercial side versus like residential? Yeah, I think some form of digital pest control or digital monitoring will make up 20% of our residential revenue within the next five years. Really? And because I, I, it's getting to a point to where you can only build value so much to a service, right? We can only have a non-tangible service for so long. And right now, the, a lot of the manufacturers that are coming out with products are making it for warehouse. I mean, it's really expensive and it's hard to get into. And I think a lot of companies are going to choose not to try and implement it into a residential setting because of the price. But if you can invest $200 in a rodent monitoring system for a residential home and, you know, decrease your cancellations, it might be worth it. You know, we're, we're, there's a lot of cool stuff coming out on the, like some DNA testing for bed bugs, stuff like that, that you can actually show the customer. I think we have to get to the point to where we're building value through technology. So are you worried about like, that technology cutting out the pest control companies, right? Because if no. if they can get digital monitors or whatever, and I imagine manufacturers will build corresponding apps and technology, like isn't there con- some concern for the you know the bug guy? I kind of look at it on the opposite. Like if I could provide a completely digital service that doesn't require any type of treatment. And I'm providing monthly updates to a customer and they can see the whole service. And then when something flags me digitally that there's a problem, then we come out and correct it. That that's real IPM, right? Like you're not you're not just going out doing quarterly treatments. You're paying for like a monthly subscription to have your home monitored, just like you would with security or or anything else. I think we just have to get ahead of it and incorporate it. And I think our industry struggles with adapting new technology you know look at the look at the backpack the power backpack sprayers if three or four years ago people would not give up a power sprayer for like a flow zone right and now it's the go-to method because if it's three four hundred bucks a backpack and you get two years out of it it's cheaper than buying a power sprayer seriously power sprayers are a lot of work too man i don't know about you guys but it's like i feel like it was always like playing a game trying to make make sure the hose didn't like rip out go you know, right sprinkler heads flower or bed yeah and, flower yeah. beds or the like you know when people put the, they think they're great putting those little solar lights around their mm. patios thing and you're just yeah. ripping them right <laughs> or yeah. getting them stuck on on under tires and you're like why oh. the hell it won't this move <laughs> in the backyard like- yanking <laughs> 
No, I mean, I could, I, I really do. I think the future has a place for some type of monitoring. Let's, let's imagine a house that has rodent activity, right? You go out, you do an inspection, you have some type of electronic rodent monitoring device in the attic. You got some uh, infrared like rodent traps in the garage, maybe something around the house too. Once the rodent problem's gone and the pest problem's gone, you can do a complete digital monitoring of the house. You're looking at it from from a computer or a tablet, and there may not be a need for that monthly or quarterly or bi-monthly service anymore until you're identified that there's a problem. Mm. So what does a PCO to do? Like just kind of sit back and see see what happens, see how the technology devolves, evolves, or is there something proactive that you know the the PCO should be doing right now? I think you have to talk to the manufacturers. That's what I've been doing. I think you have to tell them that you're interested in it. You have to bring up the conversation. You know, they're not going to invest in it unless people talk about it and people ask about it. But it's coming. It's in some form or fashion, and it may not be exactly that way, but digital electronic pest control is coming. When we all know, too, it's like, you know, the the pest control CRM softwares, you know, had a longstanding history of having a really hard time or lack thereof integrating with other software or other companies to like make an ease in the pest control industry for, especially for the smaller guys, right? Like, you know, we, you know, bigger companies, they may have money to toss around at developers to integrate different things, but the small, you know, one, two man truck things, they don't have the the money to throw at developers for that. So I'm, I'm curious if these like the, the bell and, and those companies will like work with stuff like WorkWave and field routes to like integrate that, that monitoring stuff into the the CRM softwares already, or if they'll keep playing this game where they try to keep everything locked down to each other. Yeah. The ones that I've talked to and a couple big names, I won't mention the names. Both of them did say that they were going to have open API. And it's because they needed an open API to integrate with their software anyway from the devices. Whether or not they choose give that API to the cons- to us as the consumer, the PCOs, that's still up in the air because not enough people are asking about it, but it, it's there. Interesting. Now I want to switch topics a little bit because obviously 18 years in the industry, I mean, I know you've worked for some of the big companies as well too. You, you know, a lot of people in the industry, right? You're a big networker. That's, you know, kind of how I met you mm-hmm. I mean, you've introduced me to a lot of people in the industry as well too. And so I'm curious if there's things that you've seen companies doing in the industry that are those like one or two easy changes that companies can make to like drastically improve service and operations, like s- something simple. Yeah, I think probably the easiest is, is to not micromanage. Lower your expectations just a little, depending on the person, and then increase them over time. Like you shouldn't bring in a brand new technician and expect them to do a service the same way you have for five years. Like put people in buckets. You've got your A guy, your B guy, your C guy, and also tenure at the same time. So I think making those you know, setting those ex- realistic expectations and then increasing them, like that's probably going to give you the most success. Now, have you found ways to, I guess, sort of manage that to to ensure that you're still getting the job done you kind of need to and helping them develop into those A buckets, right? Without yeah. micromanaging? We do a monthly scorecard that's very simple. It's four things. I've always thought that technicians can realistically do three or four things good well. 
And anything more than that, if you're really trying to drive it, you're not going to get it. And so we break it down and we talk about it monthly, you know, sales, safety, their completion rate, and, you know, something as simple as truck inspections. And you set the goal kind of low for sales. Maybe you got a guy at the beginning, not a heavy hitter, but you give him an opportunity to get a lead too. So maybe he doesn't sell, but he can still hit the scorecard by getting two or four leads. That's all, that's all he needs to do. And then as time goes by, you increase those scorecards, you know, year over year. And I think keeping about it, you know, keeping those and talking about them monthly helps drive the performance. And they don't realize too that a lot of those goals that they're hitting are helping us achieve our goals that are completely different. If I have a 30% service sales increase goal, it's because the branch managers and the technicians are, are talking about it monthly and they're looking at those scorecards and they're holding it accountable. So what are you what are you doing right now with what's going on with labor to make sure that you're you're still getting, you know, top talent in the door or is your attitude right now, hey, we're going to let a few things slide cuz we got a bunch of services to do. Has it changed because of the last, you know, year and a half, 2 years what the labor market has done? Right now we just have to hire earlier and train harder. <laughs> so I don't want to When I say lower your expectations, like it doesn't mean take anybody off the street, but just don't expect top talent to service your homes the first month they're out there. I think it's better to invest in them early. Uh, Right now, we're doing a lot of playbooks for our technicians, teaching them how to do a service, having something that they can go back to. But we're we're hiring early when we normally wouldn't. Like they're they're not really. They're not really doing a ton of production. They're just training for the first month. And we've grown to where we can do that. In the past, it was kind of like, let's get them on board and get them out in the, in the field as soon as possible. And so far, it's working. And we can, we can judge our staffing numbers better that way by hiring earlier. How long does it take you to know if a tech is, is going to work out, is going to be a good fit? That's a good question. Like, I've, <laughs> I've, I've had technicians that I thought were going to be the best ever. And then they were gone in three months. And then I've had guys um, that I was like, they're never going to get it. And then in a year, they're the top salesperson. So it can vary. It depends on it depends on how much they buy into the core values, how much they understand, you know, if they like it. I think the people who are really, really good technicians are people who played with Legos or Erector sets or puzzles as a kid. Like just straight up problem solvers. I even ask that in an interview sometimes. Like, you know, what was your favorite toy as a kid? Did you play with Legos? Did you like mm. building things? That's a really good question. I was <laughs> gonna say that is a really good question because as you were, question. as you were saying that, I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's why I love this industry so much. Like, I used to love the connects. You know, the yeah, you could build all those. Dude, I loved that stuff. I did it all the time. Yep. That's I like that question. That's what it is, and it's it's a non. The job is different every day. There's nobody over you. And if you're really just solving a problem and not every German roach job is the same, not at every, you know, ant job is the same. And if you can be, you know, if you like solving problems and making people happy, those are the people that end up doing it the best. So what have you done to get people, you know, excited or interested in becoming a technician or hopping into the pest control industry that are, that don't have experience in it? that are coming from another industry, 
what are you telling them to kind of say, Hey, give it a shot. This is actually a pretty cool industry. What, what is that conversation like? Yeah. So we, we just tell them like, look, I went to school to be a nurse. <laughs> I was working at Quiznos when, when my bug guy approached me and I fell in it, you know, I started doing industry, fell in love with it. We talk about our branch manager, Donald in Grand Rapids, who literally one of the top, top people in the industry right now that nobody knows. And he's only been in it for three years. And he came from Amazon and Taco Bell. So we, we talk about how you can they be know successful. Him now. <laughs> 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 we, <laughs> we can, we can edit that out. I'll delete his LinkedIn real quick. But I mean, he's, you know, he's a, he's a good success story and he's not the only one. Like people literally, we show them that, you know, how successful you can be and what you can do without, you know, it doesn't matter what your background is. And we, we let them know up front, we're going to let you fail. We're going to give you enough rope. <laughs> it's going to happen. Now, a big thing, you know, obviously like in job markets and in, in businesses, a big word that everyone likes to talk about, right, is like culture. And I feel like culture is like slowly kind of making its way in like the service side of pest control. I, I feel like a lot of the door-to-door companies have always spent a lot of money on the culture, right? Because mm-hmm. I think you have to really kind of put money in the sales efforts and things like that to keep guys enticed because it's not easy. But on the service side, you're you're finally starting to see some companies actually talk about culture or invest in the culture. Do you feel that there is that you can measure ROI on investing in culture with your people, or do you think that it's it's an it's something that we just need to do as leaders for our people? Yeah, I don't I don't know if you can measure it, but I think it's important to do it. Like we you know we have a thing called Proof Reboot where once a year we go out and we don't do any services at the whole loca- at the whole branch. It's two days. It's all about the technicians, a lot of fun, a lot of games, a lot of hands-on training. Sometimes we'll run an Airbnb and just treat with water and see how everybody does a service, but everybody's together. And so I think it's important to utilize technology to keep that, like the group checks going and then at least having a time once or twice a year where there's no work being done and it's all to celebrate the technicians, which is hard in a production-based model. Like, I remember when I we first started Proof Reboot and I was telling Alan about, hey, we're not going to work for a day. And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> All day, huh? Not going to make any money. Like, there's no production going to be made. And and it's not. I mean, but those are that's my favorite time of the year. I know a lot of technicians look forward to it because it's they're by themselves all day. Even if you have a weekly meeting, you don't really get to see everybody, right? And so having that full day where you're playing some games, having some fun, taking care of your vehicles and, and sharing some best practices, man, it, it goes a long way. Even even how you de-web a house. You know, we've got a guy that had 20 years in the industry that showed a few tricks to a younger technician and it made him be able to de-web a little bit faster. Like you won't get that unless you bring everybody together. And talking about that, having a name for it, that kind of sets us apart. That helps the culture. Technicians are like, wait, we get you you do the you do training like this every year all we get are online classes <laughs> so yeah i mean it, it's definitely i don't know how you measure it other than maybe um how long you know a technician stays but it, it, it has to be done it's kind of crazy because there's companies out there that even on the tech side even on the service side 
they do things just to increase revenue, right? So they'll, you know, they'll promote their technicians in terms of they'll use them as a marketing tool or they'll invest in them in certain ways, but only insofar as it helps the top line. And and granted, some of these companies aren't considered aren't considering the bottom line because they're losing money and they're just going to sell out anyway. Mm-hmm. But I think it's so important for the bottom line and the culture of the company, which those two things are intricate, intricately connected. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that. And I and I didn't early on, right? As you're as you're like convincing me, hey Alan, we need to do this reboot. We need to do, you know, the annual proof summit. We need to do all these things where we're not quote unquote making money that day, but those those things really drive the bottom line because I think those types of things, you know, you mentioned retention. I think those types of things help people stay longer, the people that you really want to stick around. And it's tough, especially for early companies, early PCOs. They're like, man, I just don't, I can't afford it. Right. And even if you can't afford to go to Florida, one, you know, one year we took all, all of our branch managers and region managers on a cruise with their spouse for a week or whatever. And we don't do that every year. But even if you can't afford that, you know, do something where you get together. It doesn't have to be super flashy, right? But it's it's so necessary to the culture. And and putting your thumb on culture is very interesting. It's like it's one of those things where it's really tough to measure. It's tough to you know identify. Sometimes it's tough to define. But you, it's something you feel, right? Yeah. Culture is something like okay. I just walked in this office. Everyone's like happy. Something's different, right? Right. Or I just walked into this office. There's like a heaviness here. Like pe- there, no one's talking. There's something wrong. Yeah. 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 We. Yeah, like- I literally just got off an interview with somebody that that's going to be helping us out, and she came in about a year ago. And when she walked in, she said that she could tell just from the laughter and the vibe of the office when she walked in that we had a completely different culture. And I don't like to throw the word around there so much because it is a buzzword. <laughs> but if, if people are happy, you know, people are productive. Like I know there's owners out there right now walking around there looking at their CSR saying, Hey, take your phone off your desk. You need to be, you need to be at work, you know, staring at your computer the whole time. What is that doing? Like, if I walk out there and say, hey, put your phone away, how is that going to make it any better? Like, what is that doing for anybody? <laughs> it's not, they're not in that time frame. They didn't miss a call. We didn't miss anything. Like, it's not, it doesn't create the culture that you want. Yeah. I mean, we just, we just had a new, new leader start in, on our team. I was talking with him, I think yesterday, and he was like, you know, it was, it was, it was really interesting. I was like driving home from work yesterday and I was talking to my wife like I usually do on the way home and she's like, "Well, you know, how was your day?" and he was like, "You know, oh, it was it was great." And she's like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> she was like, "That's the first time you've said that you had a your day was great in like 10 years." And he had, yeah. he's been working in the pest control industry f- for for a long time too. And he's like, I, I stopped and I was like, no, that's not, you know, that's not true. And he was like, then realized he was like, well, yeah, actually <laughs> first time I'm driving home mm-hmm. and I just like feel good about everything and not just like, you know, super tense and, and anxious. That's awesome. Culture, like you're saying, it can be felt. Yeah. And I honestly, I think there is this stigma, this unspoken 
expectation that you're not supposed to like your job and you're not supposed to like your coworkers. You don't really hear anyone say it. And I think as time goes on, we're, we're kind of working ourselves out of that. And it may, may have come from the industrial revolution, to be honest with you, where it's like, you know, just, just working for the man, right? Just grinding it out, hating your job, never getting breaks. And as leaders, sometimes, you know, like David was talking about with the phone, sometimes we have these arbitrary rules. And as leaders, we have to ask why. It's not just, just because something's always been done that way is no longer a good excuse to continue to do it. That's actually the worst reason why you should keep doing it. It's always been done. Well, what else? Right. And so even in the bug business, which, you know, in the beginning, we started talking about how we're, this industry is a little resistant to change. You know, technology has stayed away for a long time from it outside of some, you know, product developments. But as owners, and this is one way that we can evolve this industry, it doesn't always have to be with the service guys. One of the greatest ways that we can evolve this industry is how we treat personnel and what types of people we are encouraging to get into this industry because how because of how we're treating them because that will that will have a lasting effect on this industry from the you know from the top down so that's kind of another thing that I want the PCOs that are listening to think about like think about evolving and think about progress and think about change and improvement not just in in the actual details of the service or the technology but there's so much that we can do with our personnel right the crazier the idea, the better. Like David's just like, hey, these people have their phones on their desk. Who cares? Right? There's a different idea. I mean, one thing, you know, we've done in our office, you know, with our call center as we got our new headquarters now is we've got the the TVs on the wall there now with that play the dashboards for the inside sales, but then also for like the call center cues. And it's like, we try to make it known like, hey, look, you know, if there's not calls coming in or if there's enough people on the phones, you know, collecting all the calls and there's no one in the queue, like get up, go into the other area, play ping pong, grab some cold brew out of the tap, you know, go walk outside. But it's like, then they can see those screens and know if like something's coming in queue. They have the headsets that allow them to walk so far away from their, their computer to where it's like, you don't have to be locked to that desk, you know all the time. It's like, take a break, get up. You know how hard it is taking retention calls, right? Like you get off the phone with like an angry customer and you're like, I need to go walk around this office real quick and cool down. You know, it's like, get up, go, yeah, turn off, turn your stuff off, go out there and, 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 and cool down a little bit and come back, you know, so you don't leave feeling like just miserable. That's a good point because when you, when you do have a good culture where you're not like micromanaging every move, you notice that people just work harder anyway. But then they're skipping lunches. <laughs> they're not taking breaks at times. They're working a little bit later. Some of the leaders are working later than they need to be at home because they genuinely enjoy it. But you also have to get in and say, hey, look, <laughs> the company's not going to fall down if you you know quit working at five today. Like, you, you got to stop. And so it's good and bad. Like, it, it's good that they, they believe that they want to, they believe in the culture that much in the company that they go 120%, but it's also bad because you don't want them to burn out. Yeah. I want to talk about this other topic with you guys because I know, especially Alan, you and I have kind of talked about some of this stuff before. I feel like David, we've talked about some too, but a few weeks back, I did like a poll on my LinkedIn, right? And the, the question was, 
you know, as an employee, what benefit or benefits would entice you to either stay with your current company or leave to go to another company, right? This is a big topic going on right now. Everybody wants, you know, these certain things, right? Or, or demanding, right? It's part of the great recession or not recession. What was it? The resignation or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I put four options up there, you know, is a 401k plan with a company match, you know, competitive PTO, four day work week, maternity, paternity paid leave. And 26% had selected 401k with a match, 14% selected competitive uh, PTO, 46% selected four day work weeks, and 13% Mm. selected maternity, paternity paid leave. I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are, because we've talked to a few companies like uh, Natura, you know, Eric over there, they, they have the four day work week, and there's a few other ones. What are your guys' thoughts on that and, and seeing those different ratios? Yeah, I mean, we so half of our half of our offices are on a four day work week, and they they love it. I, I when we rolled it out, I was just waiting for the negative feedback. Like I I didn't think it was going to work because we had never done it before, and realistically, it wasn't negative feedback. It was positive feedback how to make it better. What were some of those things that you kind of found that that made it better? Well, what we did is we 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 gave them a one. So they're on call one day a week, and we pay them an hour that that day because in the winter time there's not enough sunlight to hit the forty hours, right? So we made up for it by paying them like an hour on the time the day they're on call while they're waiting. And then if they wanted to volunteer to work an extra day to make hours, we would let them. And then we found that some guys in the winter time because they work so hard in the summer. They'd prefer not to have the 40. You can literally put it on a plate and say, take it all you want, but they kind of want to break in the summer too, or in the winter too. So that was shocking to me. I I didn't think it was going to happen that way. Yeah. And I, you know, honestly, I think that's an interesting poll. I'm not super surprised by it because I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier. And that is, you know, the, the landscape, the workplace landscape is evolving and changing and more than anything people want autonomy they they want flexibility and it's really tough if you think about it with the technicians to have flexibility and certain other roles but technicians maybe call center reps but especially technicians because they literally have appointments right and so it's our job to get in there and figure out like what how do i you know, how do I create this atmosphere of autonomy? And I think a big part of it, and I don't know that a lot of people would admit this, but I think a big part of granting autonomy to the extent that it's feasible with your company, I I think a big part of why people enjoy that or they cherish it so much is because of what it says about them. If you're like, hey, we're giving you this flexibility because we want you to control it. And technicians, guys, they are autonomous. They drive around by themselves. Like they go to very few meetings, right? They're, they work their own schedule. There's so much. And so those are the individuals that enjoy, really enjoy that job and, and embrace the technician lifestyle. So, so the more that we can you know, support that as opposed to, okay, uh, I need you to call me right here. Wait, where were you? Why, did, why were you only there for this amount of time or whatever, right? We're, we're micromanaging the hell out of people that it's in their nature to do a job that's autonomous. And along these same lines, they did a huge study in England uh, uh, during COVID and found out that people would take a huge pay cut 
to be able to work from home. And I think it goes back to that flexibility and autonomy. Yeah. You know, that, that goes back to what I said earlier. I, I, there's going to be a time where you can do some form of pest control strictly through monitoring. And some of those technicians are going to be able to work at home. And they're only going to be servicing two days a week, whether it's five or 10 years down the road. But I could see it happening. That'd be crazy to have a tech that he's just sit, sitting in front of cameras or he's sitting, sitting in front of some type of software. Yep. And his job is to just make sure that the technology is working, that there's no ab- abnormal readings or whatever. I don't even know. Right. But I could see that, right? I could see that day. You know, I think, I think that's awesome. Yeah. I recently, I was talking with somebody kind of about the same topic and, and they were mentioning a company and I think it was in the commercial sector though, right? Which generally you can, you have a little bit more hours because you'll do like restaurants typically before opening and things like that. But what they did is they did teams, two person teams, right? And so the, the people would do 336 hour, uh, three thirty sixes, right? So three days of 12 hour shifts, but they could choose how, whatever days they wanted to. So if they wanted to go three on and then the other guy go three, or if they wanted to go every other, they were basically, and then they would drop the trucks off though. And so they would share the same vehicle. So they were like, you know, half the vehicles, you know, half the amount of hours to get all the same stuff done basically. And that was, I was like, wow, that's super interesting. I feel like it'd be somewhat hard in residential because Obviously, if it's all exterior, you got to have daylight, unless if it's summertime, you know, potentially. But that could really work for starts, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it. Because typically during the summer, if you're doing door to door, you can be out there 12 hours a day. Oh, yeah. Doing starts. Mm-hmm. But you know, you, you have those, those guys out there 12 hours a day doing initial services. After five days, those guys are burnt, you know? Yeah. They haven't done laundry in like two weeks, you know, it's like, <laughs> I think a lot of, a lot of our positions too, when people, whether it's customer service, sales, technician, I don't think they know what they want to do with their life yet. And we try to ask them that in the interview too. Like, Hey, if you decide you want to be a firefighter in two years and we'll help you become a firefighter. I talked to a woman today that wants to be a hairdresser. Okay. Let's figure out how we can work around that schedule mm-hmm. and make that happen. Like you, when we hire you, it doesn't have to be for life. There's some lifers at group. I'm one of them. We got two or three sitting right next to me right now excited. Like that's going to happen, but not everybody's going to lifer. But the mentality is, as we hire somebody, people think that everybody that you hire should work for you forever. Yeah. And it's almost like this. It's almost <laughs> like this idea that, you know what? You're dead to me if you leave. <laughs> <laughs> it's messed up, man. It's like, yeah. wait, what are your core values? Like one of the reasons why I started Proof is because I wanted to create a job atmosphere where people were proud of what they were doing. And if and honestly, it, it's really hard to lose good people. Every, you, you guys know this. It's so hard. It's one of the most heartbreaking things about business, in my opinion. But if I can do something to help somebody get to the next level, even if that that next level doesn't involve me, then, you know, I'm stoked for him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was uh, a while back, I was having a conversation with Phil Cooper and we were kind of talking about the same thing you were mentioning, David, right? And he was saying that, you know, he would sit down with his team and kind of go over what their five-year goals were, right? And like where they wanted to be in five years. And it was like, whether it was with them or, or not with them, right? And I think he was talking about like his HR lady and she's like, oh, you know, I want to 
do this. And it was something completely different, like dental hygienist, maybe let's say, right. She's like, I really want to do this. I'm like really passionate about it, but I'm not ready. It's like, okay, well, how can we help you get there and get ready to be able to do that in this time frame. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I got to do these classes and I'm going to need this extra time. Okay. So let's create your schedule. Let's figure out how we can give you the time that you need to do the stuff in the, in the classes you need to be able to get there in that five-year timeline for you and know that I'm going to help you and do everything I can to help you get there. It's going to be my mission. But what I'm going to ask from you in return is the time that the five years that you do spend with us, you give me everything you can to make sure that, you know, you're making it the best possible thing. And it's like, he said that late, that girl was like one of the best employees he had ever had, right? Like ever, right? Because it's like now she's so much more or he or she is so much more committed because they know that you're more bought into their personal development and goals than just, mm-hmm. you know, what you're trying to get from them on a day-to-day basis in terms of top line revenue. Yep. And those, those are always the best people too. Like we're, we have we have a, a woman who works for us every summer. She just passed her nursing test. <laughs> and so she'll be a nurse next year. We won't have her. It's somebody that you never have to monitor. She's been great for, what, four or five years now? And it's sad that we're not going to have that person on our team anymore. But I'm super happy that she's finally achieving her goal of becoming a nurse like that. Yeah, and it, it, it really hits different when somebody gets a promotion or or they make an achievement outside of the company and some of their biggest supporters are the people that are inside the company. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Speaking of that, I mean, you guys just had a branch manager get accepted into the executive leadership program at MPMA, right? Yeah. And I mean, yep. and that's huge. It's like, honestly, a lot of companies I feel like in this industry would probably not want or allow one of their branch managers to be a part of that. It's time consuming, right? They're going to have to go to these three of these five events. So traveling three out of, you know, three times a year, if not more, right? You know, every month they have different calls and and committee meetings and things like that. Like it's going to take a lot of time, but it's investing so much into his personal and then professional development. I mean, you're the return on, I mean, the the time that you're losing is going to be massive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when he, when he got accepted, you know, myself and other, you know, He's a region director, myself and oh, my other ba- region my bad. director. My bad. Hopefully he's no, not he listening. Was, I'm he sorry, was a branch man. manager. He, yeah, okay. he was a branch okay. manager. Yeah, he was a branch manager at the time he got promoted. But because I remember we had talked, to, I remember we had talked about it. But so yeah, well, cool. Well, congrats for on his promotion too. Jeez, man, this yep. guy's just leveling up. Oh, and he's right now in transit, moving from Boston to Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he closed. And he recently got yesterday. married. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 2022. 2022. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. When we had the conversation with them, we told them like, hey, we know you're going to have a couple commitments throughout the year, at least do the minimum for them. And during that time, we'll support you. We'll take on your workload. If I got to work till nine o'clock, one, two days a week, I don't care. Michael, Michael help out. We got a huge support network. So it's great for him. It's great for proof, you know? Gets our name out there. Yeah, we're super excited. The more we can get involved in the industry, I think the the more that we can help influence it as well. And it's surprising too, because, you know, especially, you know, since I've been kind of involved with it recently, there's not a lot of companies that are door-to-door companies that do pest control or pest control companies that do door-to-door that are really involved on a national or even a state association level, right? It's like you just, Mm -hmm. you don't see much of it. I know Edge 
you know, they do door to door. They're, you know, those guys are pretty involved in, in, in MPMA. Involved. They, they do a lot. I think Andrew just became on the board of directors for MPMA and I sh- I'm on one of the committees with their uh, chief marketing officer, super cool guy, but there's not many, right? It's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I'm on the board for the AZPPO. Our director of customer service is part of the professional women in pest management through the MPMA. And then four of our four or five of our customer service reps just signed up. Like I think people are scared to throw their people out there because they'll get recruited. They're going to get recruited anyway, right? People are always going to offer them jobs. You know, most of my leaders get at least two or three offers a year. They tell me about it. It's going to happen. Accept it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not, I'm not in the business of holding people back. I'm actually in the business of the opposite of that. So if it means somebody somebody gets a, a better offer and I help them. You know, I lost an employee recently due frankly to some of the mistakes that I made. A lot of it was on me, but she got this promotion that it's just ridiculous and she's just in a much better spot and I sent her a text and I said congratulations and she's like, "You know, honestly, I wouldn't be here without proof. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have been able to get this job without proof." And I was like, "Okay, that freaking that that gets you, man. That gets you. So, you know, we could go on, you know, for a while about this. And it's so important talking about the culture, especially how you treat people at the end of the day. To get what you want out of life, you really do, it's cliche, but you really do have to help others get what they want first. It's just, it's just the way it goes. It's gonna come full circle. So yeah, we got to wrap up, David. This has been fantastic, man. We'll uh, obviously have you on another episode. But yeah, thanks. Thanks, man. Appreciate all you do for the industry. Appreciate all the hustle out there and, you know, the connections. This guy's a networking fiend. So keep up the great work, man, and keep keep bringing good, good vibes to the bug business, man. Man, I appreciate it. Now I'll say it because Alan won't get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I paid yeah. Solomon to say that. <laughs> I'll right just on. go home. <laughs> <laughs> Right on. (laughs) Thanks, David. Pleasure having you, brother. See you guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Bug Bucks Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please show your support by subscribing and leaving us an honest five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you, and we'll catch you on the next episode.